Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. G'day everyone, happy Monday. Welcome to The Call, live from our Barangaroo studios here on Ausbiz 10 Stocks Picked by You. I put those talk, stocks to our expert panel uh, and we do it all in one hour. Let's bring the team today. David Lane from Ords in Brisbane. David, how are you, sir? Good to see you. I'm very well, yourself? Uh, very good. Daniel Ortiz from Lincoln Indicators, a stock doctor. Uh, Daniel, good to see you as well. Yeah, you too. Okay. Good to be here. All right, let's get uh, get into it straight away because you two, as a team, always have a lot to say and we love you for it. Um, this half hour, we're going to take a look at iTech Minerals, uh, Temple and Webster, High Tech Group Australia, as distinct from iTech, Tab Corp and Suncorp. Uh, stock of the day, thought we'd take a look at uh, Pilbara Minerals, uh, City has given Pilbara the blue ribbon, saying it is operationally years ahead of its peers. Thanks to its expansion at its WA operations, the buy rating retained with a price target of $5.10. And also Pilbara put out a update today, um, increasing um, increasing its mineral resource in WA substantially. Pilbara share price today up about four or five percent as we speak. So the market liked it pretty well. Um, Daniel Ortiz, do you like it as well? Yeah, I think Pilbara has probably been our preferred lithium stock. Certainly, you know, it has the kind of highest pure play exposure amongst all of the, you know, the, the producing ASX miners, other than aside from something like a core lithium, which is more of a, a recent producer. You know, all the others do have a little bit more in terms of diversification. So, you know, our view is that in terms of pure lithium mining, you know, Pilbara has been the best. And we certainly agree with City in their comments. Operationally, they, these guys have done, you know, a fantastic job. Most companies out there are dealing specifically with issues in recovery. So there has been, you know, it's been an industry-wide issue in terms of processing the actual lithium, um, uh, the hard rock into the spodumene concentrate. Uh, While these guys have have maintained recoveries above 70%, you know, some of them have had towards 50%. So certainly been an outstanding performer. You know, production grew something like 30 40% this year and will continue to grow to that million tonne per annum uh, project benchmark as well. So I think these guys are extremely well-placed. Everyone knows that they have a mountain of cash on the balance sheet. So we'll see what they end up deciding to do with that. Um, and yeah, it's, I think the, the the comments there speak for themselves in terms of its quality here. The upgrade to the resources probably shows that, you know, Pilgangura can be a 30 or 40 year mine life project. So, you know, very high quality yeah. company. Um, if you're interested in lithium, this is probably our way to play it. Uh, but, you know, from our view, it's probably a bit more of a hold just purely on valuation uh, and the lithium price at the moment. Yeah, um, because um, I was also reading spodumene prices have, have dropped substantially. Lithium bit out of favour recently, but um, the issue that this highlights, uh, Daniel, is that that these are 
early producers. Um, they're just getting stuck into the actual value of the resource, and that's where the play is for the future, not necessarily just looking at the lithium price the whole time. Yeah, absolutely agree with that, Koshi. And I think Pilbara has the advantage of – they've actually been around for about five years now in operation. Um, so they've probably been able to take upon their early you know, operating kind of uh, history and be able to grow and perfect that over time, whereas you know, many other companies who are getting started mm -hmm. are probably behind the benchmark there you know, in terms of understanding the processing here. So like you mentioned, I think Pilbara do have a, a lot of advantages here. And you know, in terms of prices, they're still making like 90% margins, operating <laughs> margins. So it's – yeah, you know, if the, if the prices fall in half, they're still making margins akin to the iron ore mine. So you know, a lot of room Gee, there for, for for margin. That is that is an interesting observation, um, David. And the other thing that Pilbara has shown is that they can actually deliver a mine, can't they? That 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 is producing. Whereas a lot of the explorers have great prospects, uh, but yes. to get a mine on stream is no easy feat. That's the next layer. Oh. Yeah, absolutely, and that that's exactly the case. And Pilbara's had a, a great history in doing that. Uh, they're still expanding their their mine and their production facilities. So, definitely, the the company, uh, the uh, CEO Dale Henderson, has presented this morning at the Diggers and Dealers Conference, which is probably part of the reason that we've seen the the share price rise. Um, I'm obviously not over there at Diggers and Dealers, but I read the, the presentation and, and certainly uh, it was a very, very positive um, presentation. And they're talking about a transformational year and the fact that uh, you know, Pilbara is expanding their production. They've expanded or increased their production by about 64%. They're anticipating growing by another 70% over the next two years. Uh, and then taking that longer term view, they're talking about the fact that they're predicting globally that there will, will be a uh, you know a deficit as far as um, the difference between supply and demand of, of uh, lithium over the next um, you know the next 20 years or so. Uh, so they're very well positioned as far as that's concerned. Um, as Daniel said, they've got a significant amount of cash, about 3.3 billion dollars of cash. And that's actually increased by 664 million in the last quarter, so they are wow. definitely uh, you know a leader as far as that that space is concerned. So it's not a stop. We currently don't have a lithium analyst at the moment, so we don't have a a formal recommendation on it. But I think that a company. No, oh, well, I think we just lost you there, David just as you were getting to the pointy end of, of the discussion. Um, oh, here we go. We got you back. Oh, I buy, lost me. Buy, hold, or sell? Uh, I'd be buying it at the moment. No. I think it's uh, yeah, good long-term business. Okay. All right. And, uh, of course, Diggers and Dealers is the big conference uh, in Kalgoorlie, yeah. isn't it, that they have uh, – have every year between, and the diggers are, of course, the, the mining and the mining executives and companies and the dealers yep. are all the investment managers and brokers that go over there. That's right. Um, would you say it's got, David, a uh, notorious history, diggers and dealers? Oh, yes, it has, definitely. <laughs> um, I think over the last couple of years, there's been a lot of um, uh, improvements and, and they've been <laughs> To, to change those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> um, 
it's a, it, it has had a history of being pretty wild at, uh, at times after the conference and when uh, yeah. investment markets meet miners, um, it's, it gets right. to a colourful stage. But uh, yes. Yeah, we've got a couple of analysts over there but I'm sure they'll be very, very well behaved. Yeah, I'm sure they will be too. All right, let's get into the stocks that uh, you want us to take a look at. And uh, Ken Daniel wants a view on iTech Minerals. Now, Ken says um, they possess the Laroma and Sugarloaf Graphite projects in South Australia, right next to RNU. Uh, it's still early stages. However, it's currently only 30 million and uh, 16 times less than RNU, uh, which appears too much of a gap. Communication from management is great with expiration update videos created every few weeks. So it uh, sounds as though we've got a bit of an iTech fan here. Uh, Daniel, <laughs> is it, uh, are you a fan of them as well? Um, look, it's very early stage, and I will say that you know I think the viewer does have some good kind of concepts or ideas in terms of the way that they're thinking about the stock. But what I will say is that you know early stage mining and, and exploration, there is a huge valuation gap between you know the life stage of the project. So you know iTech is in the very early stages of probably exploration um, for graphite, and yes, it's very similar kind of location and and um, kind of deposit plan than say what Renescore has. But Renescore's, you know, it's it's already got significant funding, has about 100 mil um, recently to, to progress some of its studies. And um, it's already got offtake partners and completed a, a, a PFS study as well. So, you know, you get evaluation kind of uh, upswings when that happens because you get further along the line of the project. So I will say that, you know, just because one company is, you know, trading a significant discount, you have to consider the context of where the projects are at because, you know, as, as many people would know, if you're doing, you know, a project valuation, um, you know, the, the timeline or the discount to, to, to present valuation can be impacted by when production starts. And you can see, you know, a company in the in the lithium space like like PMET, you know, that's that's not going to be in production for five to eight years. Hence why it trades at a discount to something like Pilbara. So I will definitely mention that um, when, when you're looking at these early stage companies. And, you know, graphite as a whole, I'd probably say I'm a little bit skeptical about. It's a very, very um, tough market to analyze. Pretty much all of the information um, advantage comes out of China. They do all the processing. You know, they even do a lot of the mining as well. Um, and I would look at Syrah's recent quarterly uh, quarterly report, you know, that they had some pretty concerning comments around the graphite anode market. It seemed to be well oversupplied. They, they couldn't even sell, you know, majority of their product um, to, to offtake partners in China. So I'm probably a little bit more lukewarm on, on graphite as a whole for now. So I wouldn't be too interested in this project. But, you know, certainly when you're doing these types of um, peer analysis, just consider whereabouts in the life cycle they are. Okay. So would you be interested in this or, or not? Look, for now, I, I do know that they have $6 million in cash, so they can continue exploring, potentially generate some news flow. Um, so, you know, you might want to stay there for that. But, you know, from our perspective, we, we'd probably prefer to be out of it, yep. mostly because, you know, we, we're not too crash hot on graphite as a commodity at the moment. Okay. David? Yeah, I t probably tend to echo most of Daniel's views in that um, it, it is a very small early stage business. Uh, I did note that they, they listed on the market in December 2021 and they raised uh, $7.6 million then. They've already spent $7 million of that. And then, as Daniel said, they've raised another $6 million. So, yeah, the, the, the cash burn of a, 
a new mine is, is fairly large. And probably one of the concerns that I had is that 25% of that money that they've spent has been on staffing and corporate costs rather than the actual development itself. So yeah. it is very capital intensive. Um, and as Daniel said, yeah, there's a lot of experts out there that are questioning whether or not graphite is going to be one of the, the, the solutions in the future. So it's probably one that I'd be steering clear of at, at current levels. Okay. All right. Uh, next one, um, Alex wants a view, uh, David, on Temple and Webster, the uh, the big online homewares retailer. Alex says, I've been buying retail stocks. Am I too early? Uh, <laughs> look here, Temple and Webster, LaVicia and Premier, to name a few, has his interest. David, are you, you nibbling at retailers yet? Uh, not at the moment, no. I think that's one of the, the areas that we're most cautious about is consumer spending because um, you know, in the current environment with higher interest rates, people are making um, changes to their spending. Um, and we saw last week the consumer spending uh, figures were, were actually down uh, about half a percent for the quarter, but uh, down 1.4% year on year, uh, which was actually the, the worst for 40 years, excluding the, the COVID period. Um, and particularly as far as Temple and Webster are concerned, the household goods were down 8.7% uh, year on year. So we are starting to see indications that people are making those choices and deciding, well, we need to put more money into the mortgage. So we're not necessarily going to go out and buy a, a new lounge or a new dining suite. So uh, uh, I think that it's, it's probably um, a, a sector that we be steering clear of, uh, and in the case of Temple and Webster, their share price has done exceptionally well. They've they've done uh, very well. So if uh, if you know he was investing in it early enough, I'd probably be taking profits and selling them at current levels. Okay, Daniel, what do you reckon? Yeah, look, I think we're cautious, and pretty much the whole market is really cautious about retail stocks as a whole. Um, Temple and Webster, as you've seen from that price chart, it's it's been a pretty wild ride for shareholders, and I still think they're they're, they're still churning through that profit high from COVID. So earnings this year, I think, is expected to to decrease pretty significantly from the previous year, and then head towards growth um, again in FY24. But ultimately, you know, it does come down to whereabouts we are in the cycle. Um, I think, you know, like David said particularly household goods um, will be will be a struggle point now Temple and Webster have the advantage of you know they're, they're more of an online player really a distributor like they're, they're more of a drop ship model so their margins are, are extremely thin you, you're looking at three to five percent I think EBITDA margins um, but then again you know the, the capital overlay isn't as intensive in terms of you know buying the inventory holding it managing stores etc so there are kind of benefits to that online model and from the recent report, um, the first half presentation, you can actually see that the percentage of repeat customers is starting to grow considerably. So, you know, that should lead to higher margin revenue because you don't have to spend as much in terms of marketing of, of acquiring those customers. So there are some positive, you know, shoots or some positive signs here and 100 million cash should mean that they don't have to raise any capital at all um, to go through a downturn. So some reasons to be positive, but overall, you know, we'd, we'd probably stick with the macro here and, um, you know, look look elsewhere for our retail exposure. I think there are some probably higher quality operators um, that you'd be looking to to buy the dip on here. Okay, so he uh, mentioned Premier and Lavisa. Are they better options than than uh, Temple and Webster? 
So I think LaVisa probably has the best in terms of operating model and margins, but Premier right. have something, you know, it's, it's, it's almost like it can be an investment vehicle and they have $900 million yeah. in, in cash and investment. So that's probably where the upside will come from. Can Solilu make, you know, another big splash acquisition, another value accretive um, deal there? That would be, you know, probably the significant upside potential for Premier holders. Okay, but LaVisa, if you're going to nibble, you'd be doing that. That's my pick, okay. yeah. yeah. Um, David, it's an interesting um, time for retailers because their share price has been down for quite a while. So yeah, people have expected this recent drop in retail figures. So they say the markets look, look nine months ahead. Um, yes. Do you think retail spending will be down for a significant period of time? Or if interest rates are peaking now sort of yeah, is, well, that's, will it start to improve? Yeah, I think um, yeah, we, we could start to see that. Um, yeah, there were some positives in the retail spending in that uh, people are still spending on, on new cars. Uh, you know, vehicle sales were up by about 14% year yeah. on year. So, uh, you know, we're not, not putting all the money in, in uh, the bank and holding it. Um, and the other thing is that unemployment, you know, is, is persistently high. So. Yeah. The economists out there are—it's uh, doing their heads in because we've got rising rates, which is <laughs> technically supposed to say that unemployment should be rising, but it's not. So, yeah. Um, yeah overall, I think that you know consumer sentiment in general is still holding up relatively well. Um, so we could well, yeah. you know, over the next six months be in a period that uh, de- defies the logic of yeah. the experts. But um, yeah, continues to be reasonable. It's going to be an interesting reporting season for the retailers, I reckon, to see if inflation has helped their margins as well. They've been able to put up prices more than their costs have. Yeah. So, um, see how oh, and the, the other thing is the uh, the inventory levels as well, that uh, a lot yeah. of the, um, yeah, the retailers were holding high levels of inventory. So it'll be interesting to see you know, where that happens. Um, we actually see some value in Kogan and think that uh, you know, yeah. by comparison, um, Kogan's probably better value than Temple and Webster okay. in the, right. the current Interesting market. Interesting one. All right, um, Daniel, David wants a view on uh, High Tech Group. David recently bought some shares in it, uh, whose main business is in um, the information communication technology recruitment area. Um, he was attracted to it because he thought fundamentals over the last eight years looked impressive. In particular, they've had strong and stable earnings growth, low capital expenses, medium return on capital, ROE of 42%, with no long-term debt and net cash on the balance sheet. David has done his homework, Daniel. Uh, the pay out, They pay out most of the earnings of dividends, but on the other hand, do not appear to require much capital expense to achieve growth. They've got high founder insider ownership and government departments of major clients. Unfortunately, the share price has already increased dramatically from five cents in 2014 to $1.88 today, already a 37 bagger, but the P is just 17 times. Looks fair for the quality of the business. No broker coverage would greatly value the team's um, opinion on this. 
Yeah, when I was reading that um, that comment from the viewer, I was thinking potentially it could be from David Lane who, who's written this one in, uh, with, with that level of analysis provided. Um, but he's absolutely hit the nail on the head. So all the fundamentals do look really positive. I will say that you know these you know family-owned business, high inside ownership, it obviously started from a really small level of scale. So in absolute numbers, I think profits have gone from you know below a million bucks to you know over say five six million. Um, so you know, you can get that explosive growth, that explosive CAGR numbers, but now it's probably, you know, a bit more of a difficult time for growth. It's probably going to have to rely on further acquisitions, which which management have called out certainly uh, in their annual report and their commentary. They're looking to consolidate their market share, and um, you know, in that in that market in particular, the the IT um, servicing market, they do a lot of work with government. So if you go on their website, you know, they'll they'll basically disclose that they have you know certain um, levels of accreditation and um, partnerships with the government um, to provide uh, them with with um, consulting and, and and workforce as well. So, look, they, they seem to be doing an excellent job. But you know, as as David said in his last comment, you know, is now the time to buy um, when the share price has already run up so strongly? Um, in my view, it's it's pretty tight with liquidity. So, you know, for us at Stock Doctor, as as bigger you know larger institutional investors, we probably wouldn't be able to get in on this one. But certainly, I think you know, look at the execution and how management have performed. You know, you'd certainly be sitting in this one holding it to see how it plays out it actually reminds me a little bit of supply networks which we spoke yeah. about i think last time on the yeah. show um you know in terms of the same ethos in terms of management and really bootstrapping that business you know they mm. don't rely on capital markets to grow you know they can do it organically and, and funded and um the last thing i'd mention is the, the cash conversion so from profits to cash looks really strong as well so like like the viewer mentioned capital light business uh, i think you can continue to see that to grow over the next 12 months as well Okay, so you you put it as a hold if you're in it. Yeah, I'd even give it a a, a spec buy or a okay. nibble rating if you can okay. get the shares. Yeah. Uh, it just depends on liquidity. Yeah. But you know, be be patient with this. You you've bought into the business for its fundamental reasons. Probably don't let variations in the share price, you know, impact your sentiment. Really stay focused on analyzing what results mm. the business produces and and the communications that they release because they can be quite volatile. Yeah, yeah, good point. Uh, David, what do you think of uh, high tech? Yeah, well, as as David uh, very well pointed out, it um, you know it is a very good business. It's got a, a strong balance sheet, uh, and it is in a sector that's continuing to grow. Um, their earnings have have um, you know done very very well over the last four years. Um, so I think at current levels, given we've seen that recent jump in the share price, I'd be holding. Uh, I wouldn't be be buying them. I'd you know possibly be waiting for a bit of a, a pullback in that share price if we see some weakness. But uh, definitely a, a good quality business. Um, as Daniel said, it's it's very small as far as its market cap is concerned, and potentially over time, you know, would look at some some consolidation in that sector. Uh, another similar sort of business in. That uh, that contract uh, employment area that we tend to like is people infrastructure or, or uh, people in. It's now known now okay. known as um, PPE is its code, and it's probably a little bit better value at current levels, but uh, similar sort of business. So, yeah, I, if you have it at the moment, I'd be holding those shares. Okay. All right, Robin wants a view, David, on Tab Corp, the big uh, wagering and gaming business. They demerged their uh, uh, their Kino and Lotteries business, Lottery Corporation, of course, a year or two ago. Um, yep. 
uh, they also own Sky Racing and Sky Sports Radio. What do you reckon of Tabcorp? Yeah, Tabcorp's uh, in an interesting position at the moment because there's been a, a major review of, um, of, of gambling uh, and there's been a, a report submitted to the, to the government. One of the uh, recommendations, there were 33 recommendations in that report, one of them is to actually curtail or stop uh, online or advertising for online gambling for three years. Um, now, that would have a massive impact on the industry and would also have a massive impact on uh, many of the sporting codes that we watch as well. Um, but that would actually be playing into Tabcorp's hand because Tabcorp uh, have the, the on-site um, you know, racing uh, betting channels as well as uh, you know, the physical uh, betting channels. So uh, to be able to, to stop the, the um, advertising from the, the online players that have really eaten into their market share over recent times, um, that would actually be a positive. Mm. Um, but then coming out of that report, there are also a number of other recommendations that if, if they were adopted, they wouldn't necessarily be as positive for Tabcorp. Um, we think at current levels they're, they're probably a hold. Um, the the market, you know, is is predominantly uh, fairly mature as far as that that physical uh, gambling is concerned, and don't necessarily see that there's yeah there's great value in Tabcorp. Um, you know, I prefer to be in in Lotteries Corp, as you mentioned, the uh, the online um, or the you know the the lotteries yeah. and keep the business that uh, I think probably has better upside than. Than Tabcorp does itself. Okay, hold on, Tabcorp. Better buying in Lottery Corp. Daniel, do you agree? Yeah, look, it's it's certainly a very difficult one, uh, and I think the key point that David mentioned there is that you know over time they've really had their lunch kind of taken away by more of the online plays, specifically companies like Sportsbet, um, part of Flutter and um, Neds as well. Like they they've really taken a big chunk um, out of the market uh, market share in online betting. And how will this kind of change to 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 expenditure and advertising affect them? You know, uh, the the real answer is I don't really know, and I, and I'm not sure if it will be a net positive for them or a net negative. But what I do know is that there's just an extreme amount of um, pressure at the moment from governments uh, and, and the like in terms of tightening the screws on regulations and likely increasing taxes as well. So for those reasons, I'd probably prefer to be out of it. Um, and, and you know, there are a lot of kind of green shoots here in terms of, look, now that they've demerged, they got rid of a lot of the corporate debt, which is holding, uh, being held in the lottery's core business. Um, you know, they, they're looking to decrease a lot of the costs and then do a cost out program. So there's potential here for upside, but I think there's just too many uncertainties. And, you know, do you really want to be taking on some of the regulatory risk there? You know, I'm, I'm just not mm. too sure uh, at the moment. So we'd probably prefer to be out of this one. Okay. So an avoid there. Um, our fifth stock, uh, Daniel George, wants a view on the uh, the Queensland-based financial institution Suncorp has uh, been in the news recently. Um, there was a deal to sell its banking operations to ANZ. It's been knocked back by the ACCC over the last week or so. Uh, Suncorp now saying they'll support ANZ in taking it to the competition tribunal for adjudication to take on the ACCC. Um, what do you... What do you reckon about Suncorp? And if you're a shareholder in it, would you be, you know, holding on? Or and new investors, would you go, hey, there's too much going on here. Let's wait. Now, look, great questions, and I think you know to to 
really analyze it firsthand. I think most analysts actually weren't um, forecasting the, the deal to get approved immediately. So in terms of how this will kind of impact earnings over the next 12 months, I don't think it will have too much of an impact. If anything, it'll actually probably add earnings per share upside because they'll get incremental earnings um, from, from obviously the Suncorp Bank for probably the next 12 months. Um, so that's actually probably a little bit of a positive. But on, on the flip side, you know, that ANZ deal, I think it was, I think it was valued at 1.3 times book, was really attractive for them. And, you know, we, we probably would like to see that go through. But there's precedent here for the ACCC, you know, initially denying um, a deal like this, and then it gets kind of reviewed and, and turned over. So I think TPG oh. and Vodafone's another example when, yep. where I think that initially got denied and, um, you know, eventually got overturned. Um, and, you know, I think the ACCC being pretty strong and effectively saying no against everything. So obviously, even the TPG, Telstra, um, the regional deal voted no, um, the Qantas and um, Alliance. Uh, was it Alliance deal yeah. voted no, exactly. So, you know, it, it is there precedent there for this to be turned around potentially? Uh, they Clearly, if you look at the ACCC's comments, you know, they, they want them to merge with the regional bank, which, you know, we probably wouldn't be supportive of as shareholders of the business um, because it does seem to be that every time that happens, you know, there are difficulties there. So um, on the face of it, we, we really like Suncorp. We think it's got a great insurance business um, and, you know, we, we're hopeful that the bank sale goes through, but it might take another 12 months. Um, and we're probably more focused on following how the insurance business performs um, uh, from here on out because that's the industry at the moment with with significant tailwinds. Um, you know, the, that's the one to be following. Okay. Um, and in terms of competitors we have, in GI on our market, they're probably more international based, probably have a different level of, of risk appetite to someone to, like Suncorp. Um, so that's where our preference has been uh, for the time being. Okay. So you'd, you'd certainly stay in Suncorp, be a hold. Would you put, uh, as a new investor, would you look at it? Yeah, I think you can certainly add to this uh, add this to the portfolio. I think it plays a, a pretty important part because if you're anticipating, you know, inflation and rates to stay a little bit higher for longer, well, then some court will benefit from premium growth and from mm. uh, investment yields to grow as well. So if you okay. if you need exposure to insurance, this has probably been our pick um, right. in the GI space. Okay. All right. Um, with this stock, I went for the Victorian to give an unbiased view first up before we go to the Queenslander. Uh, David Lowe, what awards and you think of Suncorp? Although I'm a Queenslander, I'm st- I still remain unbiased. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's obviously strategically difficult for, for Suncorp because their intent was to double down on their insurance business, which is about two-thirds of their profit. Uh, so it, it is a, uh, yeah, a, a couple of steps backward as far as the, the business is concerned. Um, interestingly, though, the analysts have done their numbers again and backed out the acquisition and, and haven't really changed their, their valuation. So we've we had a fair valuation of thirteen dollars prior to the, you know, to the deal being knocked back, and our fair valuation is still thirteen dollars. So the analysts haven't really changed, um, you know, the valuation either for Suncorp or for, for ANZ um, without that deal going ahead. Uh, so at the moment, I probably think it's a hold. They're trading above where we think their their fair value is. Um, we have got an accumulate on ANZ and think they're reasonable value at current levels. Uh, and it will be interesting to see what ANZ does because uh, if ultimately it does get 
stopped when they go to the tribunal, they've already raised $3.5 billion. So ANZ has a lot of mm. excess capital uh, that they may either send back to shareholders or look at other acquisitions, although in the current environment, it's going to be very difficult for them to make acquisitions. So, uh, yeah, it'll be an interesting um, scenario to play out, but I think at the moment, I wouldn't, uh, yeah, wouldn't be necessarily rushing to be buying Suncorp shares at current prices. Okay, but you'd hold it if you were, uh, if you hold it. A, yep. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. Yep. All right. Let's uh, recap the first five stocks. Stock of the day is uh, Pilbara. A um, uh, a hold from uh, from Daniel. A buy from uh, from David. Uh, high tech. A no from both. Um, iTech rather, not high-tech. iTech, we'll come to high-tech in a uh, moment. Temple and Webster, uh, take some profits from David if, if you're still in it. No from Daniel. Uh, Daniel, if you want to nibble in the retail space, uh, prefers La Visa and Kogan is the uh, the pick frauds. Uh, high-tech, a speculative buy from Daniel, a hold from David in that play, in that recruitment sector. They prefer people in. Uh, Tabcorp, a no from Daniel, a hold from David, um, but they prefer the Tabcorp uh, spin-off lottery corporation at odds if if you're going to look in that sector. Uh, and Suncorp, a buy from Daniel and a hold from David. Um, here at the call, we've been following our own um, fantasy portfolio. as picked by our investment committee. Uh, the latest uh, committee meeting on the platform now, ausbiz.com. Uh, let's check what they did with the portfolio uh, going into August. Um, Index was replaced by AUB, the uh, uh, the insurance broking group to follow up Daniel's theme in terms of uh, of insurance companies and and brokers. Uh, the committee spent uh, on cash out of cash, put an extra one percent in Seek, uh, Altium, and ProMedicus, and uh, the fund is up almost two and a half percent. This half hour, we're going to talk, uh, going to take a look at Infratil. Uh, National Storage REIT, New Hope Corporation, Pacific Current, and Swoop. Uh, Daniel George wants a view on Infratil. Um, New Zealand-based, isn't it? Um, basically a, uh, an infrastructure investment company. Yep. Pretty much that, that sums it up exactly. Uh, spun out of Morrison's & Co, which is a, a kind of a boutique investment bank in New Zealand. And um, the way it's essentially set up as well is that they still continue to pay you know, an ongoing management fee and, and performance or incentive fee to the Morrison's group as well. And you know that, that fee over time has grown significantly as, as they've been able to grow assets and, and um, you know really outperform the market in terms of performance there as well. So I think that's one thing investors in this company, just need to double check. Just you know, are you comfortable with you know a significant amount of the of the cash flow coming in being paid out to the underlying manager? So you know, just be aware of that is is a point I'd bring up. But in terms of the actual um, asset ownership and management, you know, they, they've been excellent management. You know, they were very early on in the renewable space uh, and, and as well as the data center space, um, which I think CDC, the Canberra data centers, is, is probably their largest um, asset from a valuation point of view. So they've done a great job over time you know growing and transforming those assets an example of that is when they did the one new zealand deal you know first thing they did was acquire that divest the the fixed infrastructure some of the assets there pay down the debt 
um, and then you know continue to, to cut out costs and rise margins and increase prices. And they've done a fabulous job, and that's been essentially a, a one and a half, two year turnaround. So you are paying a little bit up in terms of price for the management here. Um, but I think there is a decent precedent of performance, certainly. So, you know, I can certainly justify the valuation, but it is tricky because the way essentially the accounting works is that, you know, that they have to report it, you know, as all equity accounted investments. So sometimes, you know, you might look at the PE ratio um, and say, geez, that looks quite high. Um, but in reality, you know, I don't think that really reflects what's actually the underlying assets being uh-huh. being held here. So definitely have a look. You, you kind of have to have a look at the, the key assets individually uh, and see how that's being priced by the market because you can you can kind of get lost in the headline figures there. Um, but yeah, the, the way the accounting works, it can be a little bit tricky uh, with um, the equity uh, tricky, accounting investments. Tricky. I reckon it's just absolutely bamboozling. <laughs> um, you know, groups like... Uh, even Transurban, I, I ca- cannot for the life of me, and you know, in my younger days was an auditor uh, with my green pen uh, pre-computers, but um, you know, how, how can you bring revaluations in as revenue and then pay out a dividend out of it, out of capital? It just, yeah. just doesn't sink in with me, the accounting standards on infrastructure assets. Yeah, and and I think especially when you have partial ownership, you know that yeah. brings in a a, a new um, kind of hindrance in in where things flow in terms of it's, if it's at the top of the line or the bottom yeah. of the line, uh, and so on and so forth. So you know there can be issues, and if you look at something like even an IGO with their interests in green bushes, um, you know like they they mm. rely on ultimately you know the the parent company paying out an underlying dividend for them to get the cash. So right. you know there might be times where profits are X, but the actual cash flow received is. Yeah far below that due to, you know, cash being consumed for capital investment. So that's one thing to consider. And, you know, you're actually relying on Infratil to be able to continuously raise debt or or tap the equity markets to be able to make new investments. It's very hard to extract cash flow um, from their already producing assets and then reinvest that. So, you know, they they certainly have a reliance on capital markets. But when you perform well over time, you know, the capital markets will give you the benefit of the doubt. And and that's what they're doing. You look at that share price. Um, yeah. it's shot the lights out. What would you be doing? Look, I think you can hold this. Certainly, if you right. look at even something like a next DC, um, how that's being valued, you know, I think Invertil probably looks like it's fair value. Um, and you probably get a little bit of incremental upside if, if you can generate some um, okay. some divestitures from, from some of their other assets to generate some returns there. But I think it's probably trading around fair value at the okay. moment. So I hold at the moment. David, what do you think of, about Invertil? Yeah, Daniel. Neil's given a, a very good assessment of it. Uh, but yeah, I, I look, I like it. I think that it's a business that gives you exposure to a global portfolio of renewable assets or renewable energy assets. Um, they've got hydro uh, electricity generation in New Zealand. They've got wind and solar in the US. Uh, they've got wind and solar in, in Europe and even in, in Asia as well. So it is, if you are looking for an exposure to that new renewable energy infrastructure, uh, it's a good way of playing it because you've got a diversified portfolio. As Daniel said, you've got very good management that have uh, you know, had a long history of, of managing these assets well. Um, and also, you know, Daniel mentioned having to be able to tap the, the markets. Well, they've just recently done that. They've raised $850 million via, uh, or New Zealand dollars, $850 million via a, a placement and retail uh, share purchase plan. 
and also they've raised 150 million uh, via some uh, New Zealand bonds. So they've raised a billion dollars in New Zealand, uh, and. And yeah, that money has already gone to, into some acquisitions that they've made, but will be available for future acquisitions as well. So uh, it's not a stock that we officially cover at odds, but reviewing it and, and looking at it, I think it is one of those assets that you or investments that you can have as a long-term asset. Um, you know, hold it for a, a long period of time, and you'll do quite well out of it. So I'd be I'd be looking at buying it at current levels. Okay, all right, a buy and a hold from Infratil. Uh, David Max wants a view on a real estate investment trust. REIT have been, REITs have been much scorned by the markets over recent yes. months. Most of them trading on massive discounts as everyone worries about commercial property and retail property valuations. But this one, Max wants a view on national storage REIT. Now, this is the national storage centres uh, around the country. Uh, uh, well, all hived off into this real estate investment trust. So no commercial property, no retail yep. property in it. Does this make it different? Oh, it is different, definitely. It's, uh, you know, it's an industry that over the years has been, you know, a bit of a, a cottage industry, if you like. Uh, traditionally, the, the storage businesses have been owned by individuals and what National Storage and a few others have done is commercialise that business. So a lot of their growth over the last five or ten years has been through acquisitions, um, buying underutilised assets, uh, using their systems to to enhance them and make sure that they've got good occupancy and, and good return on those assets. And the management have done very, very well in, in doing that. Um, our concern with the business is, though, they've done that in a period when You've had low interest rates and improving property values. Uh, we think that it's probably going to be a little bit more difficult for them to do that going forward. Um, although having said that, management made an announcement uh, recently that they're, they're currently going through their revaluation process and don't expect that the, the uh, cap rate will change too much from where it was at the end of last year. So management you know, still seeing that the, the, the industry is holding up relatively well as far as property values are concerned. Um, our analysts did have a, a lightened recommendation on it, but that was back in April when the share price was trading at about 258 and the fair value is now two two twenty, and that's where their their share price has actually come right. back to. So, um, you know, I probably have a hold on it at the moment. It's a you know, it's a good quality business, but mm. you know, don't necessarily think that it's going to have the growth that it's had over the the last few years going okay. forward. Uh, Daniel, what do you reckon of the national storage rate? Yeah, so I think if you look at the kind of underlying metrics, storage has probably been, you know, one of the best areas to be in if you look at things like revenue growth. Um, certainly what, what they call, you know, revenue per available meter or effectively the rate that they're getting um, on, a, on a weighted average basis, you know, that grew 16%. I think in FY22, um, and it's grown, you know, another five or six percent at, at the first half. So, you know, there's there's pretty significant revenue growth there. And at the end of the day, the issue for most REITs at the moment is one valuations, but two, uh, is income or revenue growth going to be able to keep up with the increase in debt costs? So, I think that's a pretty big positive for them. Um, the next thing is that, you know, 
storage has probably had some of the the most kind of corporate appeal when you look at kind of M&A. They've actually had a takeover offer before from a US player. I think that was pre-COVID and, and COVID kind of killed that deal. Um, so, you know, they're certainly looking to grow their asset base and, and continue the rollout and development of sites and, and potentially, um, you know, sell themselves off to a, a larger offshore peer. So I still think, you know, as an underlying area, storage is a decent place to be. Um, I think the valuation as well looks, looks relatively appealing. I'd probably call it a, a buy as well um, in the REIT space, which is which is probably unique because we don't like mm. too many of them out there. Uh, and I think what really kind of tipped us over the line is that you've seen gearing really come back. So they've actually done a lot in terms of refinancing uh, and actually raising money as well. And I think now they've kind of positioned themselves for the next leg uh, of growth, which yeah. if you look at some of the development um, the development metrics they've reported in terms of you know the, the yield on cost that they can generate, you know, it's, it's still really high around 8%, which is fantastic. Even if cap rates go to, um, to something like 6%, still a really generous margin there for, for yield on cost. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's, a, that's sort of been a consistent theme over the last couple of months with REITs. You know, forget your main, uh, you call Goodman a REIT, I suppose, but it's in warehousing, makes it a bit different and it's seen as the market leader. But with the rest of the market with these deep discounts, you know, look away from commercial and retail into storage. There's also a childcare one, isn't there? So there are a lot of different specialty ones if you if you want to invest in REITs that look a whole lot better than the mainstreams. Um, our next doc, uh, Daniel, Matt wants a view on New Hope Corporation, the big uh, coal miner. Um, um, Matt is asking, where do you see the return on capital? and their outlook for dividends this upcoming year. Whitehaven, a new hope scene. Daniel is real uh, money machines over the last couple of years. Can they keep it up? Yeah, look, th- I think this is probably one of the more interesting areas of the of the market at the moment. You know, they've actually, New Hope's actually held up quite well. Um, you know, from a share price point of view, um, relative to what the coal prices have done. So, you know, thermal coal prices are off 60% um, at the moment this year, down to around 130 bucks a ton. But historically speaking, still well above average of, or, you know, somewhere between 80 or 90 bucks. So, you know, the, the market still is quite buoyant for them and, and they'll still be making really great returns, but it just depends on what investor expectations are. So if you're expecting, you know, the, these record dividends to continue, well, you're likely going to be disappointed um, because costs are starting to rise. Uh, and, and New Hope, you know, they've actually made um, some investments as well in Malabar Resources and looking to restart the New Auckland mine as well after they got some approval. So I think don't underestimate you know some of the the capital that needs to be sunk in their other investments. It's not mm. all going to be paid out to shareholders. There is some reinvestment, and I think that's a theme that's that's gone amongst all coal stocks. You know, originally, um, uh, you know, people thought, well, well they're just going to make boatloads of cash and return that all. Um, but most of them have actually made you know a significant amount of, of new investments, uh, which is quite surprising. So look, I probably see the thermal coal market as, as being challenged for the next six months. We know that supply is coming back online. You know, what's helped that is um, better weather in New South Wales, um, which has really helped lift output. So from from my view, I'd probably be a little bit lukewarm on this at the moment. I'd probably rather be out of coal in general, just because I think prices still have some downside risk. Um, but you know, if you're in, if your expectations as an investor are just to to sit there and collect a dividend um, of around ten percent or so, the New Hope certainly will deliver that. And you know, they probably have the best management team in the space to be able to do that. So if if that's okay. your expectation. 
certainly stay here. Uh, but you know, if if you're probably a little bit more active and and you know want to be a little bit more cautious with your money, I probably see some some downside risks emerging for that coal price. Okay, so hold for income basically, um, and uh, and I suppose if you wanted to play this, you could play it through sole patents and as well, couldn't you? Which is has a big stake in New Hope as well as all its other investments in brickworks and the like. Yeah, you could, and and you know we've spoken about this one before, but at least they'll get a chance to actually um, either either you know they'll either pay that as a dividend or reinvest it um, yeah. to grow earnings even further. Whereas obviously a company like New Hope or, or Whitehaven's the reinvestment part is a bit more challenged. Yeah. So yeah. you know if you're looking for income, then this is a, a probably a okay. good place to be sitting, um, or like a sole pats for more growth, I'd say. Yep, David. Yeah, I tend to agree with a lot of uh, Daniel's comments. Um, yeah, they do have about $810 million of cash, but they are continuing to develop their new Ackland mine. So the expectations are that in phase three, that will uh, end up producing more uh, post-2025. Um, and they also have an investment in Malabar coal that's about to start production. So uh, there is still further production to come and further cash flow to come from, from the business. Um, our forecasts are, though, that their dividend will actually decline, which is part of, the, I guess, the the um, you know, the, the outlook as far as the, the thermal coal price that you know, we are predicting that it will come down in the in the near term. So, yield currently is about twelve point three percent. The forecast is that next year it will probably be about six point eight percent. So, hmm. still a very decent dividend, but probably not as high as as what we've seen in the past. Um, our valuation on the stock $6.10. So they're still trading a bit of a discount to that, uh, but we've got a whole recommendation okay. on it. Um, and yeah, tend to concur with most of uh, Daniel's views okay. as well. All right, David, uh, Roger wants a view on Pacific Current. Uh, Roger says, currently holding Pacific Current purchase mid $6 range with the current ta- takeover offer. Um, uh, the share price has shot up to $10.50 ish. Wondering the panel's thoughts on whether to get out now or uh, hold on for a competing bid coming uh, uh, from GQG, which is um, one of uh, Pacific Current basically invests in other boutique investment fund managers, don't they? Of which GQG yeah. is one of them. That's right. Yeah, so they they hold about four percent of GQG, uh, as well as a number of other boutique managers that uh, that Pacific Current own, um, you know, own outright and privately. Uh, in yeah, I, I would be holding on. Uh, we've got a buy recommendation on Pacific Current. Uh, we've liked the stock for quite some time and, and had that buy recommendation on prior to the bid happening, but we still think there is further upside in it. Um, the the implied value in the the bid by Regal Partners at the moment is about ten seventy seven, depending upon the the share price. Um, and GQG have announced that they intend to lodge a takeover offer, so they haven't actually lodged that offer yet. We don't know what that's going to look like. Um, so I'd be holding on. Generally, when you've got two competing parties uh, bidding, you tend to get into a bidding war, and, and hopefully that the value will be a lot higher. Uh, but we do see generally in that sector that there is actually quite a lot of value and, and G, GQG is, is one that we think that there is 
good value in. Um, mm. They're currently trading about a dollar sixty. Uh, our valuation on them is two dollars ten, so they're trading you know, about twenty seven percent below that. Uh, and we still see yeah value in the sector. Um, and it's yeah it's an interesting one to see how the consolidations will play out over the next six months or more. So a hold hold if you're in it, you're doing really well. Uh, oh, we're actually going to buy recommendations. Yeah, so you so. would buy as well. Yep. Yeah. Okay. New money. What do you reckon, Daniel? Yeah, look, it's, it almost reminds me and, you know, a little bit of a different business model, but very similar to um, Pinnacle there where it, you know, yes. has that portfolio of affiliates. I will actually say that, you know, it did invest in GQG very early on. I think it was one of the the seed investors um, when when the CEO, the founder Rajiv Jain, there kind of started his own business. They were, so they were there for very very early on, um, and you know that's probably been the biggest success story. But you know some of its other affiliates probably haven't performed uh, as strongly. So you know just have to just have to be in mind that it can be a highly cyclical industry, um, and you know you, you want to be careful about trying to forecast or reproduce that level of success like that that was you know gqg has been an amazing story and, and it's grown essentially over a hundred billion dollars in farm over, over just what five or six years um so that'll be very hard to, to back up but um you know regal's clearly made a very opportunistic bid here if you actually look at kind of what what they call out as the net assets per share you know it's probably at a five to ten percent premium of of all of the assets as a whole that that pacific current actually holds so right. can certainly see um upside potential there for from a bid uh, or even a, a competing bid like David mentioned. Um, but, you know, just just be cautious that these businesses are very hard to reproduce that level of success. Um, so, you know, if you are wanting to take some off the table and reduce your risk a little bit, you know, I probably wouldn't be too opposed to that um, just because it, it is a very difficult kind of, kind of sector at the moment. Okay. Our last stock, uh, Peter wants a view, Daniel, on Swoop, the... Uh, Little telco business, uh, data and voice services to uh, wholesale business and residential. Yeah, so um, this one's, it, it's actually had a pretty uh, volatile history mm. since listing. Um, you know, I think when it listed, it, it had a great story. It was looking to really roll out coverage and infrastructure, specifically in rural areas. And it's made, you know, numerous acquisitions over its history. And it's kind of, um, you know, it does have a management team there, which have experience at companies like Focus, um, rolling out the M&A strategy there. So comparatively to the size of the company, um, if you look at kind of the management team there, it does look, you know, quite over overqualified you know they, they raised money at over two bucks per share right. um so that they, they were able to really secure a lot of funds and be able to deploy that even though the share price you know has been obviously um crushed since then so i actually think this is looking quite interesting um mm. it just really depends on the performance of those acquisitions over time so you know obviously when you're looking to roll out, uh, conduct a rollout or a roll-up strategy, you know, you really rely on the ability to get financing or the ability to raise money to continue that strategy. Now, you know, with the swoop, the swoop share price being where it is, I think it's pretty fair to say that they won't be looking to issue, you know, shares around this price. In fact, they've actually been buying back shares on market. So I think you want to look at this um, at its upcoming result. They have indicated now that they're free cash flow positive, which is something that they weren't previously. Um, and, you know, we've seen from the likes of, you know, a company like a Megaport or SiteMinder, that news of, of the cash flow kind of inflection point has really um, seen share prices being supported. So I would probably put this one on the watch list um, for now. I probably okay. wouldn't have enough conviction in buying it um you know the in terms of the balance sheet i think they do have about 20 mil 
in cash, but they also have, you know, pretty sizable debt, 20 million debt as well. So I would just like to see them kind of be able to pay down a little bit of that debt over time, um, really, you know, be able to prove its, its, um, its acquisition strategy and, and start to show some of those profits coming through the door before we'd be buying. Okay, David, what do you think of Swoop? A uh, couple of directors bought in May at around that 20 cent mark. They've done all right. Uh, yes. Back to 33 yeah, cents. That's, that's one of the interesting things about Swoop is their, their share register. That Their largest shareholder is uh, Catarang Ventures, which is uh, Andrew and Nicola Forrest's um, yep. investment business or one of their investment businesses. So they've got 15.4% um, of the business. Uh, and that will actually increase because, as Daniel said, they're going through a share buyback. So as the company buys those shares and, and uh, cancels those shares, it means that existing shareholders will increase as far as their, their percentage is concerned. Um, so that's, yeah, probably the, the interesting component of, of that business. Um, but it is a fairly competitive industry and it's difficult. They don't necessarily have any um, competitive advantage over others, whereas Daniel mentioned the likes of, of Megaport and Superloop they do have their own technology, whereas um, Swoop seems to uh, be a reseller and, and a uh, you know, supplier okay. of existing technology. So probably a little bit small and a little bit difficult. Um, you know, if you, you're wanting a, an investment in that sector, I'd probably be going for Aussie Broadband or, or something similar okay. uh, that has a bit more size to it and a bit more uh, history behind it. Okay. All right, let's recap the uh, the final five stocks. Infratil, a hold from Daniel, buy from David. National Storage, REIT, a buy from Daniel, a hold from David. Uh, New Hope, um, hold if you're after income from uh, from Daniel, a hold from uh, from David. Uh, Pacific Current, take some profits uh, from Daniel. That's a recommendation. Uh, a buy from David. I reckon it's going to get into a bidding war and swoop on Daniel's watch list and a no from David preferring Aussie broadband. Uh, Daniel Ortizzi from uh, Lincoln Indicators, Stock Doctor. Mate, good to see you. Thank you for joining us. Good to be here. Uh, good to Dave, have a few buyers on the show today. Yeah, yeah. No, it's great to see you, isn't it? Uh, David Lane from uh, Ords, great to have you aboard as well. Thank you, team. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right, coming up to uh, 1 p.m., that's our show for today. If you've got any stocks you want us to cover, go to osbiz.co slash callpix or tweet us using the at TV handle. I'll put those stocks to our expert panel. In the meantime, The Pulse is next. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.